Hey guys, and thank you for joining us here at IED Sports. Today, we are previewing the 2021 Seattle Sounders. This MLS preseason, we're covering every single team. We are uh, inviting writers and podcasters here to join us to represent their teams. And here representing the Seattle Sounders, we have Jackson Feltz from the Sounders Weekly. Jackson, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you take some time to introduce yourself to our viewers and let them know what you're up to? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it, guys. Appreciate your time and having me on. Um, I host the Sounders Weekly podcast, as you mentioned. It's actually a live show that's on Sports Radio 950 KJR AM here in Seattle. Uh, also, uh, where I work, 950 KJR, I also host the Seattle Sounders pregame, halftime, and postgame shows for the matches which uh, happen on KJR. Uh, so I do both of those things, and including that, I write up uh, stuff on the Sounders on our website, sportsradiokjr.com. I'm basically our station Sounders guy, and literally everything that happens with the team, I make sure to cover for our station. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us here today to talk about the Seattle Sounders. We're also joined by me and my co-host, Sir Alex, and we're joined by uh, Chris Sains from Shoulder to Shoulder, the LAFC podcast. Thank you again for joining us here today, Chris. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks very much for having me. So let's get right into Sounders. Um, we want to talk a little bit about ownership, stadium, culture, and history. So the things that have nothing to do with soccer, but maybe even more important, let us know a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think we'll just start with the history of this club because I think th there is no better culture, I think, in United States soccer than the Seattle Sounders. Born in 1974, uh, we really bounced around a whole bunch of you know American soccer leagues from the N uh, NASL. USL was, of course, the team that Brian Schmetzer coached at the same stadium where they now play at. And then back in 09, we finally rose up to MLS. Uh, and the Seattle Sounders FC were born uh, with the same name of just adding FC on the end. Uh, Adrian Hanauer is our primary owner. It's an ownership group that has uh, really exploded in the last couple of years. With the departure of Joe Roth, what happened was you have a whole bunch of new members of ownership coming in, including Russell Wilson, Seahawks quarterback, his wife, Sierra. Uh, Macklemore, a local rap artist, uh, a whole bunch of Microsoft executives. Um, there's just a huge amount of new ownership people in the in the in the team, um, or what they now we refer to as the family. And and the, the person at the helm is still Adrian Hanauer. He's a local. He is Seattle through and through. And and I think that's going back to it. Why I think that the Sounders have the best culture in North, in in soccer here in America because we have it all. We have a local ownership. We have a local head coach who grew up and went to high school 15 minutes from the stadium he now coaches at. Wow. You have a, a team that's really anchored by also local people. I know he's injured right now, but Jordan Morris, you know, he grew up 10 minutes from the stadium on Mercer Island. You have Christian Roldan, who went to the University of Washington. You have a whole bunch of local anchored players. Alex Roldan went to Seattle University, which I'm literally i've done it before is a 15 minute walk from the stadium i mean you have guys you have you have the, the, the at every level of this organization you have people who know what it's like to be a seattleite and we here in seattle are very much you know if 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 you come from us if you are part of our blood we are going to to back you 
every step of the way. And, and I think that that's something that's just so beautiful is that they understand the culture because they grew up here. They understand the culture just as much as all of our fans do. The ECS, Emerald City Supporters, Gorilla FC, uh, amazing supporter groups that back the, the club and everybody else that fills at 35, 40,000 strong every single match. Um, yeah, and that's kind of the rounding out point is in addition to having a great team and, and local owners and local people at every step of the way, you have success on the field and you have success in front of an amazing crowd that supports them so well. I mean, it's, it's just, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to, to root and talk about for, for a freaking career, this uh, amazing team and the, the culture and the club that, that, that it's around. Cause it's just, it's, it's astounding that we've been able to have the success we have, but when you have as good a people as we do throughout every level of the organization, it's no surprise. Now, when you have that many supporters, that many, that energized of a fan base, you do run into problems. For example, you need to play in a stadium that can fit 70,000 people. And that might be a, a little bit of a knock. It is not a soccer specific stadium. And there's a problem with different fans, different teams that don't want to put out on AstroTurf. So talk a little bit about a Lumen field for us. Would you? Well, first off, it's a problem for everybody else. It's not a problem for us. <laughs> Great Quite answer. <laughs> okay. Great answer. It's sort of like when, when, when DC would come here and Wayne Rooney would say, ah, or, or, or Galaxy would come here and Zlatan would say, eh, because they don't want to play on the turf, apparently. Well, it's their loss, and we're going to rack up the points, okay? But, you know, going back to I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a top-level stadium. I was looking at some rankings earlier this morning on Twitter that had, that had CenturyLink rated, like, middle of the pack in terms of – or no, that's, I should say it's now Lumen Field. Middle of the pack when it comes to stadium, like, this is the Seattle Seahawks stadium. Let's make that clear first off. And then they are the primary tenant first and goal is the company and, and whatnot. And, and that building is top notch in every single way um, from, you know, the, the, the suites to the 300, how well the thing is kept. And then the facilities, the fact that you have public transport and, and the light rail that goes right from the airport. Um, I was just seeing another tweet from another person who covers the founders saying, and this is the reality, you can fly into SeaTac, get it, get at SeaTac in the morning and easily get down to the stadium district, have some lunch, have a couple beers, do our march to the match, another part of the culture that's so great, and then get into the stadium before one o'clock kickoff and you're not going to be in worry at all about missing a second of the match. Uh, the accessibility is fantastic. And the fact that you can pack it in there with 35, 40,000 every single game and then expand it, which we've seen a few times, to getting. I mean, the MLS Cup 2019, we saw 70,000 people in the building in one of the greatest spectacles in that stadium's history. And it's, it's that capability to expand it when you need to and then also have a really intimate atmosphere when you also want an intimate atmosphere. It's perfect for all occasions. Uh, it's great for soccer. Other people may not like the turf, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we win on it. So sucks for you guys. <laughs> and you went on it again last season. Let's talk a little bit about that because Seattle went 11, 5, and 6 in 2020. 44 goals scored, 23 goals against. They had 39 total points and came in second place in the West. Of the contributors, Raul Rui Diaz, 12 goals, 4 assists. Jordan Morris, 10 goals, 8 assists. Nico Lodero, 7 goals, 10 assists. So those were our main contributors there. If you had to sum up last season in, in just a couple words, what do you think about the 2020 season? I would say successful but incomplete. Uh, you know, I think everything right up until MLS Cup, which I hope we don't have to talk about too much, but everything right up to that point was a very successful season because MLS's back was tough. You weren't at full strength. We were very understanding of that. You said you don't have Joel Paul. You don't have some 
some really key contributors to that team when you need them in that loss to LAFC. Hi, Chris. Uh, and and, and <laughs> terrible thing that we have down there in Orlando. We're very understanding that that we weren't, you know, that, that was going to be a tough one. It was always going to be a very, very tough game. So, so at that point, slate clean, let's start the regular season and let's do what we always do, which is go on a run and win the dang Western Conference. And we did exactly that. And it doesn't matter where you finish, just get in the der- tournament, get in the dance, and went right through that Minnesota game that we had. It was, uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but it was just a ridiculous comeback uh, to beat Minnesota United in the Western Conference final, where we get a few goals in 19 minutes. We're down two nothing. There's really no hope. I'm standing uh, in 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 one of the in one of the booths for broadcasting, and I'm I'm looking at my co-host Wade Weber, and and uh, and I'm kind of saying. Dude, it's the 70th minute and we're down two to nothing and we haven't seen them pick up the gas yet like we would need to 20 minutes left. And, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about the, the, the points we're going to talk about in the postgame show, season over, et cetera, et cetera. And then boom, 19 minutes, three goals and we're on to MLS Cup. Um, it was all of that to that moment made it a very successful campaign because you had, as you mentioned, all those successful stat lines, guys contributing on every level, the newcomers, Joao Paulo, Yamar Gomez Andrade, one of our great center backs, those yeah. big body center backs. He is amazing. They had successful first years. So very, very successful, but then the incomplete come because then we have MLS cup and it's, Three nothing in Columbus, and that's a game that all of us want to just erase from our memories, and and I never want to think about it again, and and that's the point where it's you know you wish a bunch of different things had happened that day, and that's where the incomplete comes in. But overall, the whole picture, you get back in a year where you're really coming into the season with house money because you're coming off of an MLS Cup victory, you've won it two times in the previous four years. You don't have to go back to MLS Cup, but they do again. So overall, it's a successful campaign. It just ended not the way any of us would want it. What a humble bragger that that guy is! Wow, <laughs> <laughs> two times in the last four years, yeah, MLS Cup. To say, I mean, we're just we're the best in the West. What can we say? Stats don't lie. I mean, their trophy case does not lie. That's all you got to say. It does not lie. Four, four times in five seasons, man, to go to the show like that—that's that's an impressive stat line. Only one team has ever done that before, and that's DC United in the first five years of the MLS history, 96 through 2000. We're the second team to ever do that. We only won two of them, but I mean, hey, it's, it's, it's a pretty exclusive group to be a part of. We don't want to talk about that other team anyway today. That that's for another day. We're saving that for another time. Okay. So one of the reasons for the success, you have to say coach Brian Schmetzer, Alex, that is your guy. Yeah, I, I think he's the most vastly overlooked coach, an American coach. I mean, talk to us what he brings to the table, what he means to your organization, his tactics and stuff like that. To me, no one talks about this guy, but this guy knows X's and O's. He knows when to pull the, pull buttons, where to put guys that make lineup changes when he has to. Please talk about him because I don't think America knows how good of a coach this guy is. Oh, thank you, Alex. What a, what an easy layup. I mean, I couldn't agree. <laughs> Ron, all of that. Absolutely. Brian Spencer has been overlooked for the U.S. job a few times, and that's pissed enough of us off here in Seattle. Um, and, and he's been very humble. But no, but I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Brian Spencer himself. And, and uh, tactics really quickly. I, I know you mentioned that. Um, that's the most interesting thing as we look here into 21, because Brian, since he took over, uh, and Siggy Schmidt, uh, led our club for many years. Uh, he was uh, mutually parted ways in the middle of 2016 season. And Brian Schmetzer takes over in the middle of 2016. And he had coached the USL Sounders until they became Sounders FC. And Siggy 
kept him on as an assistant coach and and Brian kind of just hung around and he was he, he's he's always been an amazing players coach and when he took over in 2016 it was sort of the element from from GM president of soccer Bob Hargaway of of all right Brian your show let's see what you can do with it and if you do enough then then you can have the job well he just goes and wins MLS Cup so that worked out pretty well uh, you know so from there on then little bit more and more and more brian got a little bit more of his his stamp on the club and how he wants this thing to look he's bringing in assistant coaches and you can't talk about brian schmetzer without talking about his amazing group of assistants from jimmy triore you can gonzalo pineda tommy drucher is the best goalkeeping coach in the league he has Preki on his staff i mean he's mm. built this really really amazing staff of assistant coaches and there was a little bit of a contract you know a situation just in the last you know four or five months or so and it got a little bit dicey there and, and I, they kept saying this thing's gonna get done and it did get done but one of the biggest points that we saw brian spencer continuously talking about was making sure his assistants also were all together and he could bring his whole staff back so the fact that they were able to bring that whole staff back is what anchors Brian Schmetzer because when he has all of his guys, his tactics are unbeatable. We saw it against LAFC in the 2019 West final where he just, he knows what to do and he knows how to lock down certain guys at certain moments against LAFC in the playoffs last year, same sort of deal. They were able to lock down Carlos Vela. So his staff and their ability to both create the tactics and then also just you know, one of the Brian's best best traits is being able to kind of just whether it's in a hotel on the road or after training at Starfire Sports Complex where they train or wherever it is, just put an arm around a guy, Brian can, and say the perfect thing at the perfect moment to get that person ready to go for whatever it is. Brian is 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 the ultimate best players coach and he's gotten so much better tactically over the years to the point now where where, you know, Brian has a job with, with the Seattle Sounders until he says I'm done. He, he, he has a lifetime contract with this team, you know, regardless of what, what paper says. Uh, and I mean, Alex, and you're absolutely right. I, I just think that he is so overlooked by the league in so many ways. Maybe it's because of the talent we have on the field. Maybe it's because we're just always there. Maybe it's because he has all the assistance, but, but Brian himself, he just, he knows exactly what to do. And then going back to the culture, he, again, he embodies the culture. He can go to these guys and he'd be, be, be like, listen, there's 35 K in the crowd for you. And they all know what it's like to, to represent this club. And you, you know what it's like now his ability to connect the team, the players and the community and the fans is, is unparalleled. I think in MLS. Now let's talk a little bit about tactics because there were a lot of players that were out and Spencer's going to need to pull a little magic out of the hat this year. You have Gustav Svensson gone, Leardam out, Giovin Jones gone, Romain Torres out. Jordan Morris was only loaned. He was going to come back. Then he got hurt and he will be out for the entirety of the 2021 season. We talked a little bit about his tactics, usually 4-3-3, but he'll experiment with a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2. When I was putting my lineup together, we were going back and forth to make this graphic. And I was like, oh, well, here's what the 4-3-3 looks like. Jackson goes, no, it's a three-man back line. I said, okay, well, here's what the 4-3-3 could look like. No, it's a three-man back line. So I did make them both, but we'll show this one because this seems to be what uh, you know Jackson, someone way more in the know than I would, is going to put out there. Now, this is just you know um, our little ID Sports prediction of yeah. what we could see. We're predicting a two-man... Uh, forward situation Raul Ruiz Diaz is set in stone he is the center attacker he is the target man on the other side you'll see either Will Brune 
or Freddie Montero, who they brought in this offseason. Let's talk about what those guys mean. I mean, obviously, Raul Ruiz Diaz, one of the best attacking forwards in the league. You get a funny bounce off that turf, and he's going to put it in the back of the net. 12 goals, 4 assists over a shortened season last year. What about the the forward situation makes you think there's going to be two on the field? And who is that second guy going to be? So a lot of what the reasoning for the two forward formation is what Brian Schmetzer has available to him on the wings. And and you guys just saw the graphic there. One quick adjustment is Yamar Gomez Andrade will be the center of those three center backs, I think. And, and Brian could easily switch to, you know, he, I think the interesting thing is seeing what he comes out with day one, because I asked him a couple of days ago, you know, you talk about using a two forward formation, but you know, which of the two forward formation are you going to go with? Are you going to go with the three, five, two, five, three, two, and then all ultimately, you know, either of those change with whether you're on offense or, you know, whether you're attacking or defending, because then you pull Alex rolled on and you pull new or Brad Smith further back. And that creates the five. So that just evolves on itself. Or do you use the, uh, or do you use the, <laughs> or do you use the, excuse me, the four, four, two diamond where you have one defending midfielder and you have a little bit, Two, and then you have Nicholas Ladero sitting at his normal 10 spot with the two forwards at the top. And that's something that's very going to, you know, divide and, and change based on how Brian Spencer sees the competition and how they line up against, you know, the, the, the opponent in terms of tactics. And that just kind of goes to who they're facing on a given day. Uh, but regard, going back to your question about why two forwards, it's simply because I don't think that they have a true left winger on the team right now. And Jordan Morris, who played left wing all most of last year, and Jovan Jones, who played left wing some of the year, uh, Jovan's gone. And Jordan Morris, you know, very, very sadly, is now injured for the year. And we hope he can get back and be healthy again uh, for next season. But who knows on that part? So for that part, it, it's it's very, very tough right now. Uh so what does that leave with Brian Schmetzer? It leaves him Brad Smith and Nuhu at that left back spot. Can you push Brad Smith high on the left wing? Maybe you have Christian rolled on and Alex rolled on his brother on the right side. Alex is your right back. Christian has played a lot on the right wing. So how would you finagle all this together? And the answer is you get a two forward formation and maybe don't throw out your normal looking four, two, three, one that has the band of three that has Nicholas in the middle. Christian on the right, and then who is on the left? Brian told us a couple days ago that he's even tried out Kellen Rowe on the left in in, in a situation where that, and who knows if that's going to work or not. But at the end of the day, it's not his normal personnel. So the answer is you throw two forwards up there, and Will Bruin's a guy who's been massively successful in Major League Soccer scoring goals. So do you put, you know, Al Rui Diaz is here with the team, and he's not with Peru. It's going to be Rui Diaz and Bruin. When Raul Rui Diaz is with Peru, you will see Freddie Montero slide in there, or you could even see Brian go back to his 4-2-3-1 and have a single striker, whether that be Bruin or Montero, just given the depth on the team. So as it works right now, uh, Brian is kind of just playing with what he has available. When summer comes, when they're able to bring in a new sporting director, when they're able to get a new player and hopefully bring in a new winger at the TAM level, then you're able to change them some things up or even DP level theoretically, change some things up, maybe go back to the 4-2-3-1, maybe do this, maybe do that, uh, and we'll get back into his preferred 4-2-3-1 system. But as it stands right now with the personnel that Schmetzer has, it is a 5-3-2-3-5-2 or the 4-4-2 diamond. And I honestly don't know what we're going to see day one against Minnesota. Absolutely. So let's let's go because we did talk about the outside wing position. We kind of have Brad Smith on at left wing. I love Nuhu Tolo. We, uh, I love what he adds on the offensive side of the ball. So I think 
we you know we went a little back and forth brad smith versus new who who we think is going to be on there um i love new who do we want to talk a little bit about him what he brings to the team new who's fun he's such a amazingly fun guy to watch uh, he's also just somebody that can make you pound your head against a cement wall because he'll do things that are just so unsound. He, technically, there's a lot of parts of his game that need to shore up, and one of the parts was on the offensive end. He can't. He, up until I would say about halfway through last year, he wasn't able to cross the ball for his life. Somewhere along the way, he learned, and what we saw towards the end of last season was knew whose offensive game really, really come along to the point where he wasn't just starting over Brad Smith because Brad Smith wasn't fit. He was starting over Brad Smith because he's the better option, and he's a much better man-on-man defender than Brad. His man-on-man defending is probably one of the best in the league, honestly. His, his speed is amazing, his recovery, so he can get up the field, but his recovery is, is so good back the other way. And then it was kind of just the offensive end. Can you wrap that around and make that huge present just look so good? And you can still have moments where where some things he'll do. He'll high-step it. He'll, he'll do some ridiculous things. That's so much fun to watch that you kind of just shake your head at, you know, if you're a, a true, you know, yeah. that says you should not be doing this but on the other hand his skill set his raw skill set is so high that you how almost at this point because of his offensive game being as good as it is have to take advantage and have to have him out there so if his offensive game is exactly where it was at the end of last season probably the starter uh you know we aren't allowed to be out at training right now because of covid uh i look forward to to being back out there and just seeing how he's progressing on the offensive end seeing if he's still able to cross like he was towards the end of last year and 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 be good on the offensive end and i'd like to like to see him taking a a little bit less risks on the offensive end but if he rounds out that part of his game uh he there's there sky's the limit for him also a nice depth piece there and we know these wingers need to be able to get up field and play defense it's kind of a left midfield left wing back winger forward kind of uh, amalgamation there jimmy madranda kind of an underrated signing for me on that left side too because he can go and overlap and play in that style an mls veteran himself so let's jump into the midfield now you think it's gonna look a little bit like this jao paulo just one of the most underrated player alex that is your guy, you wrote some notes on Jao Paulo, the DP for Seattle Sounders. Yeah, I, 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 we talked about our pockets last year. I love the big three of Seattle with Morris last year, Rui Diaz and Lodero. But the one name that no one really talked about is Jao Paulo, what he brings to the midfield. Talk about yeah. a little bit about what he goes. I think he's very, under, again, you're going to hear me say underrated, but no one talks about what he brings to Seattle. Talk a little bit about him. Well, it's kind of funny. Seattle never brings in the big signing winter signings. And last year they actually did it and they brought in both him and they brought in Ian Michael Andrade. And I think both of those were kind of not really looked at, but specifically on, on Jao, um, JP, as we call him here, you know, I think he had such a hot start for us at the very, very start of the year before everything got shut down. And he was even playing some number 10 and we saw his versatility to play a bunch of different spots. There was actually one day, I think that we played, I was at Sacramento. I think it was a Sacramento game where only media was in attendance. And I don't even know if it was broadcast. And, and it was the first time that, that he was playing at, at uh, what's now Lumen Field. And he was making some plays out there. It was just in front of us media that were just mind-blowing. And we're just kind of like, oh, my God, he's going to be a revelation for this team because he has the offensive capabilities. You know, and, and we go back to his time in Botafogo. He had you know, the this, this second most crosses on that Botafogo team. So we knew coming in that he was going to be uh, somebody who could even get up on the field. And then his defensive capabilities started showing as well. 
So he has such potential to, to be a, a star for the Sounders in so many different ways. And we've already started to see that. And the versatility is probably the best part because, you know, if, if Nico goes down for a match, he could theoretically goes there, you know, he could play Christian's spot. He, I, I think that we haven't even seen the full capabilities of Joao Paulo yet. So I, I love what he brings to this team. Um, his, his long balls and, and they love to have their long diagonal balls to, to change the field. And he's so good at doing that. And his vision's just exceptional. There was a game, uh, I'm not sure if you guys remember, but it was against uh, San Jose last year and that Matias Almeida man marking system. And he mm. was making passes to just yeah, destroy yeah. that man. And the final was, I think, seven to one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He yeah, made yeah. It- a couple passes in that game that were just ridiculous. So that that was the game that opened my eyes. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That was the game that opened my eyes with yeah. him. I, I remember that well. I remember that well. Exactly what you said. That was the game. I was like, wow, no one talks about this. I look at the ability of this guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to throw over to Chris for a second because there's absolutely someone that I absolutely love um, in Nico Lodero. A fun stat about Nico Lodero before until last season, the previous three years, he was the most fouled player in Major League Soccer. And that says something about what your opponents think of him. And when Nicolo Dare is on the field, he just brings another level. He's not the most athletic. He's not the uh, youngest guy on the field, but he really uh, kind of strikes that fear. He's someone you have to account for at all times. So do you have anything to add for Nicolo Dare? You know, I, I, I'm just listening to Jackson talk about Seattle, and, and it, it's amazing uh, I used to, when we first had our first couple of seasons, I used to love the idea of us playing Seattle because of just our track record. But then when you see Seattle come in and play in the playoffs and now they finish out, it just makes me, it, it makes me no longer want to play Seattle. And it's players <laughs> like Nicholas Ladera who you constantly have to account for. I mean, and it's not just, I mean, there are marquee players. Rui Diaz, I can't stand a player. And it's one of those ones where I can't stand him because he's so good. But Nicholas Ladera, I mean, he is leaps and bounds uh, he's a leader on the pitch i'm sure he's a leader in the locker room he's definitely one of those that you have to account for i mean this this seattle team is a is a complete team on all three phases and it's 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 hard to it's hard to play against them so again we're going to pull up this uh final roster that we came up with here this is in no way you know what the team is planning on doing just kind of what we think and when we see this roster uh jackson why don't you bring us around and kind of tell us what are our expectations what can we rationally assume what are your optimi- are you op- that's a better question are you optimistic are you realist are you pessimist i think i'm a realist between now and summer and the real the realistic thing is that they're going to be playing with a new system and you're playing it with you know with is the team able to ramp up and get enough time in whatever system they choose and who knows what brian schmetzer is going to roll out there you know in in just under a month now against minnesota and and the realistic thing is playing with a new system you know in, in a year where you probably don't have all the personnel that you'd like to have in a normal season your sporting director's gone you can't bring in a true left winger until later on uh I think I think if as long as you're middle of the pack, you know, somewhere around fifth or sixth in the West, maybe even seventh, you know, around the start of August, everything will be okay. Because then what happens is, you know, hopefully we're on the other side of this COVID stuff, and you have a new sporting sporting director in here. You're starting to do some scouting. You're able to bring in a, a true left winger. Maybe Brian even goes back to his preferred system, the four two three one. Everything gets rounded out. And then if you're just hanging in there and you already have, you know, in, in contention there for that playoff spot, by the time that you're able to uh, really kind of ramp up for the playoffs there in September, October, uh, and I guess November this year too is the playoffs because we're pushing everything back. By the time that the playoffs roll around, you have A, the system in place, 
you have the players in place, the personnel you really want. They're getting a nice chunk of change from the Jordan Morris loan. Uh, you're getting a nice chunk of change from the sell-on clause with Henry Wingo overseas as well. So they have some money to play with. And based on that, I think that they're going to be able to bring somebody in and shore up that left side. And at that point, you're looking at too deep at left back. You're looking at a, a solid guy with Alex on at right back. You have three, one really, really good center back in Gomez Andrade. And I think two startable center backs in O'Neal and Javier Arriaga. You have, you're solid with your defensive infield. You're solid with Nicolas Ladero. You're solid on the right wing. You're solid at striker. It's just filling up that left wing spot. And once you're able to get a guy in here, as long as you're hanging on, my expectations are right there in the West final. And listen, yeah. we're, we're facing LAFC and Chris and they're healthy. All bets are off because I, it's, it's hard to expect this team to go down to the Bank of California Stadium and do exactly what they did again in 2019, where they had such an, in, an impressive showing. So if, if you were back in the West final, I think that would meet the expectations this year, because let's be honest here, five MLS Cups in six years, that's a little bit greedy. So I'm not going to be that greedy yet. Uh, I would like to see a West final if they get the pieces in place in, over the summer. Humble brag number two, if we're counting. Chris, do you have any questions or anything left to go for uh, Seattle? Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I would like to know how you guys feel about the fan base in the sense of, you know, they have labeled Seattle as Soccer City USA. And I there's been a couple of articles lately because of all of these other cities that are coming out and, you know, football in America is becoming a bigger thing. Are you at all concerned about losing the title of Soccer City USA? No, I mean, it's so hard. I mean, Portland has a thing on their stadium that actually says Soccer City USA, which ironically says SCUSA. So they literally have on their stadium, I'm sorry, uh, which is a, quite an apology to their own. You know, the whole Soccer City USA thing is, is so tough because, you know, I think we even heard it out of Cincinnati when they were coming in because look at our showing when, when, the, when the U.S. plays here. And, and when I mean, there is it's so I think our culture here and in, in the fan base is at the top of the level. But I that every fan base thinks their fans are the best. It's normal. I think there's actual facts and there's actual reason of why Seattle is the best. 35 to 40 strong every single match. When we open it up, we can get as much as 70 like we saw for MLS Cup 2019. Uh, our team consistently wins, which makes it very, very easy to root for. And and I think just the passion behind the club, you see it in local communities. And, you know, we, there's, there's, there's brewery partners and their sponsors. I mean, the, the things that happen... Yeah, you know, we're relating to other parts of this club, you know, that, that benefit the community. Ray Foundation does an amazing job. Uh, that's a Sounders charitable arm. Uh, and they do an incredible job at building parks and making sure that, that kids have places to play soccer here in the community and just actual equipment uh, to, to be active and, and play. I mean, there's so many parts of this club, Chris, I think, that that make it what it is. And I, I, I personally think it's the best soccer city in the country. But uh, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I don't know what LEFC has in their community and what LEFC does for the community. I know a lot of teams do some amazing things for it, but I think based on what the club does, based on what the fans do, and based on just how easy it is to root for a winning club, you know, humble brag number three, I, I think we are the best. And I don't, I, there isn't much concern on my part. You know, we'll see what happens when other new teams in the league. But, you know, every every team, you know, has, has a right to feel great. I just think we have the facts behind us. Alex, do you have anything to bring us around? Yeah, I have a quick question uh, for Jackson. One last question. Uh, going back to the old NASL days, who's a bigger rival, Portland or Vancouver, and why? It's Portland. 
it's uh, Vancouver is like here we go. This is this is gonna be this is gonna be perfect. So Vancouver is sort of like you know. It's it's the little we we are the big brother, right? Don't hold back. Don't, don't hold back. Let's let it all out. Don't hold back. We're the big brother. We're you know we're we're the oldest, and and we've already been through the ring, and we've we've done our thing, and we you know we're we're headed off to the next level, and and all that good stuff. And then Vancouver's sort of like the youngest brother, and we just want him to do good. We don't want him to beat us ever, but when he's oh. playing games against a friend. You feel for him, and you go, "Oh, it's, you, you kind of root for the little brother. He's so cute. He's eight years old, or whatever. You know, you, 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 he, it's kind of nice to see him win sometimes. Um, just never against you." And then you have Portland, and Portland is like the thirteen-year-old brother who is the—I don't know if you have a bleeper here, so I won't say it—but he's the guy that you never want to see win a single thing. You hate with every brother. That hate came through so 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 viciously on that one that we actually lost our guest Jackson. Um, I think your your camera overheated or something there. So I think that is uh, the perfect well, way to wrap up. Yeah, yeah. I think they hate Portland. I think yeah. I got the I think I got the logistics of it right there. <laughs> Portland is number one on the hate list. I never want to see Portland win anything. And uh, yeah, uh, Portland. You know, if, if they go if they ever go further than we do in the playoffs, then that really really hurts my soul. Jackson, one last time. Who are you? Where can we find you? And where can we pick up your work? Jackson Feltz. Uh, I am a radio host, sports radio KJR. I host Sounders pregame, halftime, and postgame. I also host the Sounders weekly show uh, on KJR, which also gets podcasted on on uh, iHeartRadio app. Uh, just search Sounders Weekly. You can find me on Twitter at Jackson B. Feltz, F-E-L-T-S. And thank you again, Chris, for joining us. Guys, everyone have a great week. And thank you for joining us here at i80 Sports.